Hello and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Bekosek. Today is episode 30 and for us it marks roughly the halfway point in our first year creating the Career Builders Podcast. So we thought we would do a little bit of a different episode uh, for our six-month half birthday. Woo-hoo. This is an Ask Us Anything format and we went out and solicited some questions uh, and received a bunch mainly from our past guests and we're really excited to just kind of get the chance to be on the other side of the interviewing discussion. Uh, So without further ado, I'm going to kick it off with a question that we got from Teresa Helmer, who was our guest in episode 28. She asked, do you have advice for students or people who want to rebrand themselves or have career interests that don't obviously correlate to their studies? Hmm. What do you think, Lisa? Yeah, I, I love this question. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the clients who come to me are looking to do this. So it's, it's not as hard as people think, but it's, it's simple, but it's more difficult than just kind of updating your resume. There's a couple yeah. of steps that you need to take to get there. Um, what it centers around, though, is, is really understanding who you are, kind of your why of why you want to go into this new rebranding. And taking steps to build that foundation right off the bat of understanding why you want to make this change can help you to then build your confidence. And confidence is one of the major factors when you're Mm -hmm. trying to make a change because you have all of these skills that you've built in your career previously or in your life. It doesn't have to be career experience. You, You gain experience in many different areas, whether it's your hobbies, whether it's interests, all that kind of stuff. So understanding all those pieces and how they fit together gives you the confidence, and then you can use those transferable skills to recreate your resume and to rebuild your interview answers so that you may not have the direct experience that somebody's looking for, but you can bring it back to those transferable skills. Yeah, for sure. And and we all have transferable skills. A lot of the time, we're just sort of not that conscious of them and, and just kind of taking some time to dig into what they are. Um, I think in addition to that, when it comes to sort of rebranding, to me, it's really like a change in a slight change in your identity, Mm -hmm. which can come in a variety of different ways. For me, the biggest example of it in my my life has been how I learned French in in my mid-20s, where I just basically said, this is something that I've got to do if I want to have the life that I want to live here, um, where I am. And I just changed the environment around me. I went into an immersion setting where it was much, much easier to learn French. And I think how this could apply to anyone who's in their career is if you want to go in a different direction into a different field, start to immerse yourself in that field. Go and connect Mm -hmm. and speak with people who are already there. Read about it. Watch YouTube videos. do, Do something that gets you regularly in that new space that you want to be in and gradually... I believe it was true for me that you will start to change how you see yourself. And that's when this becomes much, much easier. I love that. Yeah. That support network is so important. Yeah, totally. Great question. Yeah. All right. Our next question is from Abdella Rolem, who was in our episode 20. And his question is, I'm curious to know what you think about the imposter syndrome, which is when someone is in disbelief of their skills or achievements, leading to self-doubt and loss of confidence. Yeah, and that's probably a really relevant question right now for people who might have lost a job or they're furloughed 
Mm-hmm. And they just sort of are questioning why they're at where they are right now. So great question, even um, in the best of times. For me, imposter syndrome kind of comes down to a, a few things. It, I think imposter syndrome kind of has to live in a world of comparison to others. So if you can remove yourself from a constant dialogue that you might be having around how do you stack up against other people mm-hmm. uh, who might be quote unquote more experienced in a field, um, more professional, more polished. I, I think when you start to start to silence that, mm-hmm. um, you start to create an environment where the imposter syndrome disappears. Mm-hmm. We often lose track of the fact that we're all like everyone started from zero at some point. That, yeah. that beginner's mindset that even some really high world-class performers still maintain is important here because we all were at a point where our competency level was not where we wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And the only way to build that competency is to keep getting practice, to keep getting repetitions down under your belt to the point where you, you're confident enough that you're going to show up and, and not feel that imposter syndrome in the same way. It might never disappear. Mm-hmm. But I do think that it gets turned toned down quite a bit over time as you start to build confidence and see small wins start to add up. Yeah. That's how I would approach that. For sure. And I think it actually leads a little bit back into the previous question about, you know, if you are rebranding yourself or changing your career interests, you can feel this because you've had experience up to a certain point. And now all of a sudden, like you said, you're starting in a new, in a new way. Um, yeah. I've read a lot about imposter syndrome and one of the, the biggest pieces of it is that everybody feels it, Yeah, which is one of the misconceptions of imposter syndrome because you feel like everybody around you is good at it and you're the person, like somebody's <laughs> going to find you out. I read a story about Maya Angelou, who's a brilliant writer. She's written millions, not millions, but <laughs> lots of books. And yeah. um, she still, you know, was at a point where she was saying, somebody's going to figure out that I'm not as good of a writer as everybody thinks I am. Mm. And it's just important to know that even the most successful people still feel it sometimes. Totally. Yeah. I think I saw a tweet from Jonathan Stark a while back that said like the, the guy or the person on the other side of the table has imposter syndrome too. So don't worry Mm -hmm. about your own. Exactly. Yeah. And it's an element of fear and you know, we can do things while still feeling fear. Fear has a purpose. And if you kind of accept that feeling and say, okay, I'm, I'm experiencing imposter syndrome. Um, then it's a little bit easier to move forward. Totally. Yeah. Garrett Mintz hit us with a couple, a few different questions. He was with us in episode 27 and I'll, I'll kind of deliver these as a package here. Um, so we asked, how can I innovate if I've lost my job? And he's really talking around how do you kind of reinvent yourself and potentially direct yourself toward entrepreneurship here. I have never viewed myself as an entrepreneur. Is it possible to start now? And if so, what should I do? Great question. Yes. Thanks, Gary. Such a great question. Yeah. Um, So innovation comes from difficulty a lot of times. People often will look for opportunity when they're experiencing challenges. So the current environment that we're in dealing with COVID-19, there's a lot of people who are trying to innovate and find new ways of serving the world around them. I mean, one of the biggest things that I recommend for my clients is to, to take a look around and say, first of all, 
what challenges are you facing? What challenges are your friends and family facing or your neighbors? And then what challenges are, are the world facing as a whole? What are some things that you feel people need right now? And is there a way that you can serve them? I think that that's, that's kind of the first step, but then you can also think a little bit further to say, what skills do I have that can help me to serve these people in a new way and what trends are going to emerge? So mm -hmm. for example, if you're thinking about this whole virtual work from home scenario, what are some possible trends that can come out of this? To kind of go on to the next phase, if, if the person has never viewed themselves as an entrepreneur, it's absolutely possible to start now. People start businesses at all stages. I don't know if you've ever watched Shark Tank, but <laughs> oh, yeah. there's all sorts of people that go on that show with amazing ideas. And there's definitely steps that you can take to get into the mindset of an entrepreneur. Um, you really need to be strategic with it. There are a lot of great resources online that you can do research. So one of the, the very first steps is to you know find an entrepreneur that you look up to and just have a quick chat with them. See if you can network with them to say, how did you, how did you start out? And you can find some really great advice from the people around you. Yeah, that's a great point about just going out and starting to build a community in your life around possibly becoming an entrepreneur. I agree with you. It's now is a great time to innovate times of challenge times when the status quo is under attack and, and the way that people have seen the world for a really long time mm -hmm. is, is faltering. Mm -hmm. It's going to be reshaped uh, in, the, in the next several months and, and probably years to come. And so for sure, now is as great a time as, as we're going to ever live through probably uh, to actually be able to, to create something that's new, looking for problems, like you said, to solve, I mean, is really kind of at the heart of what entrepreneurship is, is being a problem solver for others. And, and it may be for yourself as well. In terms of starting out, I think what I would add is continue to sort of validate different ideas that you've got. Mm. ask people questions, really get a sense of what people's pain points are uh, because that will influence your, your product development or your service development and then how you market that um, because those two engines kind of have to both be firing at a pretty high level. You have to have something that's really worth buying, first mm -hmm. of all, to be an entrepreneur and you have to have a way of that being known to the world. Um, and without those two things, it, it's pretty tough. So, I mean, it's a great time to be creating mm -hmm. a product or a service or something that could help people solve problems. Um, and then in terms of the marketing side of things, a lot of people might be hesitating to buy something that is really, really unproven, but mm -hmm. it starts with getting one person to experience what you're offering. And if it goes well, then they tell other people about it and continuing to build that kind of momentum, kind of like a... Like I think of it as sort of like a plane taxing down a runway trying to take off. It just starts to get faster and faster and faster. And before you know it, there's enough lift where it's like, boom, now, now there's something happening here. And it, it's time. It's a great time now to be going down the runway. I think if you can realize that you're not going to take off in the first few meters of the tarmac. So that's what I would say. That's a great point. Yeah. And if I can just add on to that too, if you have been, furloughed or let go, or um, if you have extra time because you're, you're not working as much, 
it can be a really great time to use the time that you have to start building and mm -hmm. doing research as well. Cause research is a big part of it to understand, just like you said, your market and everything. So, totally. you know, people, there are people who are willing to, to answer your questions and to even do polls and stuff online. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, great points. Love it. Thanks Garrett. Sweet. Okay. So the next question is from Janice Porter from episode 10. So she says, do you think it is important to learn how to use online tools such as LinkedIn properly so that you can be seen in the best professional light? Yeah, let's, let's tackle this. She asked uh, a couple, and, and this is one we'll, we'll get after first. This is, I mean, the short answer here for me is yes, absolutely. I mean, probably not just now, but even just like 20 years ago when the internet was really starting to have its, its birth. I mean, LinkedIn is about 20 years old. Um, most people don't realize that it's actually one of the older, oldest, uh, big social platforms out there. Hmm. So absolutely replacing in-person communication with zoom, with messaging via LinkedIn to create, um, you know, virtual communication. I mean, that, that's basically how I've been operating, uh, how we've been building this podcast for the last several weeks, given that. You know, I'm not able to really see anyone in person to kind of get a sense of who they are. Um, so it's been useful for us, for sure. And for mm -hmm. other people who are trying to build their careers, I, I think it's like the best place ever to go out and meet people um, in, this, in this virtual context that we're all in right now. Mm -hmm. And it will still be really important when we're done. We've been able to bring on guests from other countries, other continents, and having Yes, having a profile that kind of reflects who you are, tells your story, puts you in, in strong light, that is all super important. And then I think in addition to that, how you use that, port, uh, that profile to then go out and solicit conversations with people mm -hmm. is, is the next step that I think it's, is just as important as having a strong profile. Definitely. And I think that in one of our past episodes, you had asked a question around creating your own voice. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And that can be so important on LinkedIn and it can be difficult to figure out what that voice, what you want that voice to be. But once you do, you really hone in on what you want your voice to look like on LinkedIn, that can really help you to connect with people, to go out there, to have people also find you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the stronger that voice gets, the easier it will become for sure. hundred percent agree. I think we're going to, I'm probably going to revisit that actually on a later question, but I, I'm glad you brought it up now because it's, it's definitely worth repeating for sure. Mm -hmm. um, Janice also asked in the wake of the new order of things, do people need the, what she called the warm and warm fuzzies to be shown appreciation and kindness um, by receiving a tangible touch from you. And where she's going with that is do people need to kind of have some reestablishment of, physical exchange, physical contact, some, something that alleviates all of the, the virtual interaction that we've had right now, like for all the thing, for all the good that having zoom and all of these meetings has been for a lot of people, because it still allows them to, to get some things done in this time. I think what she's really kind of getting at is like, how, how do we supplement that in the long run with something that's, that's more physical? Mm. What are your thoughts on this? I think it's great. I think that, um, it, it doesn't need to be something big, but I do agree that there is, you know, there's something really nice about getting a package or getting something in the mail. Um, I love opening mail. I love 
getting a card in the mail or um, even just getting a little treat. Like even when I think back to when I was in university and I wasn't always able to be at events. So let's say it was, you know, a family member's birthday. Oftentimes I would send flowers mm. as a, a, just kind of, I'm thinking about you so that as much as a text message is really nice, it just goes that extra level. For sure. Um, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for things that we can send right now. I know that in my hometown of Georgetown, Ontario, there's a couple of local businesses that are, you can order donuts. You can order, cool. yeah, there's all sorts of stuff. You can order coffee to send to somebody. Um, so little, you know, food items and things like that. But there's also Amazon, which I know is taking a lot longer these days. <laughs> <laughs> so they might get it in a month from now. But um, there are other resources that you can use to send that little tangible touch. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to be different for everyone. Um, I'm, I'm not necessarily someone who, my girlfriend got me to do the five love languages quiz, mm -hmm. which I think you can probably just Google. It's really easy to, to find. It's like 25 questions mm -hmm. and like physical gifts for me is like probably the lowest ranking of the five love languages for me in terms of how I want to express my love and appreciation and how I, I would like to receive uh, love That's in my life. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not a huge deal for me. It is wonderful to receive something that is a little bit out of the ordinary. Um, a few weeks ago, a friend of mine solicited my girlfriend and I to, to send in a video uh, or something, a piece of content for my friend's boyfriend, who's, whose birthday is actually today our recording day right now. So this will come out far after <laughs> the surprise has been broken. But basically she said, you know, feel free to put together short video. If you want to send a cool picture, whatever message, I will put it all together for my boyfriend and I will give it to him as a compilation of, of messages from friends on his birthday, which I thought was like, wow, a wonderful, so thoughtful, super creative. Oh, so nice very tangible and in an, in an intangible kind of way. So I think there's a lot of different ways that you can do it, but yes, I mean, showing appreciation in different ways is always going to be an important part of just being human, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're all kind of craving that connection right now. So any way that yeah. you can heighten that, even if it's an, a nice email, you know, there's so many yeah. different ways, like you said, to do it. So totally cool. So the next question is from Virginia Franco, who was on episode 29. How are you advising furloughed job seekers to address their status in interviews and their resumes? Technically, they have not completely separated from a company, yet the company is no longer assigning their paycheck. It's such a great question. It's kind of like jab, 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 right hook to quote Gary Vee. Like this is the <laughs> this is the kind of like deep technical question that doesn't have a clear cut answer. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Virginia, for <laughs> making us think really hard. Mm -hmm. So Small disclaimer, because I tend to work with people who are just at the beginning of their careers, I have not actually worked with someone who has been furloughed technically. And, and that was a term that I feel like a month ago, most people in the world didn't really know existed. So mm -hmm. if you've been furloughed, you're on some sort of unpaid leave, basically. Um, this, this is kind of how I would advise someone who is maybe trying to find a job to get them out of this current situation, out of the furlough. Because you're still employed technically by a company, I would make sure that that is reflected on the resume. I would not indicate a termination 
uh, or a departure. I would not even indicate that you have been furloughed on the resume. And the reason for that for me is because a complicated situation like a furlough, which is going to be different for everybody and for every organization, to reduce the level of assumption that is created uh, by hiring manager, HR person, recruiter who is seeing your resume, wait until there's a little bit more trust equity built up and address this in the interview exclusively. Be open about it because at some point, if you are going to get a job offer and your employer is your new employer is asking, when can you start this job? And you hesitate and say, uh, once I figure out how to disengage from my furlough, then all of a sudden, I think your conversation just got a whole lot more awkward. Be, mm. be upfront about, I mean, if you're asked about why you're looking for the job that you're interviewing for, I think that would be a great time to get into the fact that, yeah, I've been let go. My organization's going through a really difficult time. Um, not really sure when I'm going to come back, if I'm going to come back into a role because, you know, before that, they were kind of looking at maybe downsizing my department. Could mm -hmm. be a, a conversation like that. But the bottom line here is wait until you're further along what I call like the, the trust continuum where in the, in the resume being read the first time, there's not enough of a connection there between you and the employer. Get everyone's skin a little further in, get a little more skin into the game with the employer and then be really, be really honest and transparent about it. I mm -hmm. think they will appreciate that. That makes sense. Yeah. That's how I would, would approach that. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think too that um, because of the time that we're in and because everyone is getting more used to this term, people won't be, it's not, it's not the same as being fired. So mm -hmm. there isn't as much of a stigma around it in that sense because people understand that it means that your business was likely going through a bit of a financial hardship at that time. Yeah. And it, it wasn't because of your performance. Yeah. Exactly. There's probably a number of ways of approaching it and finding a way that feels true and good for you, I think is important because it's a new phenomenon for a lot of people. So if that is the situation that you're in right now, dear listener, that is our take. Feel mm -hmm. free if you want to get in touch with us, um, if you have any questions on that, because it's, it's a big topic right now. Definitely. We got a block of questions from Diana YK Chan, who is going to be a feature guest on our show. Uh, we will get an episode out with her um, out sometime in, in May. It's going to be really fun actually around networking, but I'll just start off with the first question that she presented, which was really her stuff is around podcasting itself. And, and it's sort of a nice chance for us to kind of peel the curtain back on what our journey has looked like. And, and if there are other people out there who want to get into podcasting, hopefully this is helpful. Mm -hmm. Her first question was, what are some unexpected good surprises since launching the podcast? So many. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I would say that the two biggest are getting to talk to so many really cool people mm -hmm. and have really interesting conversations, which is one of my favorite things to do. Mm -hmm. So just, just the fun factor of it. I knew it was going to be fun, but this has just been so much fun. And the other thing is having a lot of really great content to be able to uh, add on to client sessions. So if I'm having a, a conversation with a client about networking, then I can say, you know, we, we had a really great interview with this person, go and check it out. And for me, that's, it's been a really great, um, 
way of providing additional information. Yeah, for sure. I, I echo what you've said. The, the best thing for me has been getting to know some people that I would not have really had a viable means of connecting with in the same way that, that the podcast has granted us. Mm-hmm. And I feel even during this time of isolation that I could easily just send an email to any one of our guests and jump on a call with them, catch up with them, have a virtual beer, virtual coffee, because I do feel like between the time leading up to the show where we kind of, we now do a lot of um, sort of, they're not screening calls, but we do get to know our guests a bit before we we bring them on. Mm -hmm. So between those calls and the actual interviews themselves, it's a lot of quality time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so feeling like that I can actually go out and re-engage with these people pretty easily, like they've, they've become not super, super strong ties, but they're, they're stronger than a lot of other ties that I have with my broader network. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's allowed me, it's allowed both of us really to meet a whole bunch of different people along the way. And this is, it's just sort of snowballing faster than, than I expected it to. I think there are some less unexpected benefits to this, like developing your voice, having heard from just so many different experts, you, you hear so many different perspectives on things. It fleshes out your own point of view on a lot of topics. Yeah. So, I mean, I've learned as much, I think, as, as anyone that's ever listened to our show. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's been huge. So, but I mean, yeah, for me, it goes back to the connections with all these amazing people that we've been able to bring on and anyone who's written into us and said, Hey, like, I, I really appreciate what you're doing. That's that's always really, really loved. Definitely. Yeah. And, and actually just to add on to your point about, you know, building your voice, I also feel like I've gained a lot of confidence through mm-hmm. this that has really helped me in other areas. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You just kind of, you keep showing up and that imposter syndrome <laughs> keeps going down <laughs> and it's a process, but yeah, I mean, let, if you go back to listen and listen to our first episode, first few episodes when we launched in October of 2019, I'm sure there's a really, really big difference between where we're at now and where we were back then. Like I have a hard time kind of listening that <laughs> far back. Cause I know like it was a little more awkward and yeah. my voice was just kind of muted. And I just feel like in another six months in, in a year and some change from now, we're going to be even better. Like it's, it's only going to get better from this point on. And it's a journey yeah. that like I, I have really appreciated being on seeing that growth. Same. Yeah. Awesome. Great questions. Yeah. All right. Her next question was, what advice do you have for those starting a podcast? Yeah. Very good question. The first and most important thing for, I think, anyone who wants to create any kind of content is to know who it's for and have a really solid target audience in mind. So for us, right, we're 20 and 30 somethings who are building out their careers typically as employees. Uh, We're not a show that's targeted necessarily toward entrepreneurship. There are plenty of shows out there for that. And we strike between sort of the recent soon-to-be grad up to sort of like the mid-career transition person who has been 10, 15 years in and are starting to think, "Mm, this maybe isn't what I really want to do with my life. Mm -hmm. And and in between, people who are in their 20s and and they're, they're wondering, how do I come up the ladder a little bit faster? How do I, how do I become the best employee that I can become? Mm-hmm. Um, so getting crystal clear on who you want to talk to, I think has been 
been really important for us because mm-hmm. once you get a sense of who you're talking to, then you know what to talk about. Yeah. Um, and without without those two things, it's it's really tough. And because we've been pretty clear on what we're trying to to get after with our message and who we're getting it to, like it it's been really easy, honestly, to create sessions and and hash out topics with guests. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's the first and most important thing. I'll, I'll kick it over to you. There's a lot of things that we could probably say on this topic. For sure. I think that um, one of the things that you don't necessarily think about when you're starting out, but that is important to think about is um, make sure that you're having fun with it because it, it yeah. does take time. The, the amount of prep time and pre-calls and for you editing and, yeah. you know, show notes and all of that stuff. It's not, it's not like a quick half hour conversation every week. It, it does no. work. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. Like, <laughs> uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff that happens in and around the, the 30 to 45 minutes that the listener gets to, to hear. And while we live for that experience, it's, it's true. There's a lot that goes with it. So, so be ready for that for sure. And if it's, I think here's another important thing um, that we've been able to demonstrate pretty well. Hopefully it's, it's obvious to people that have been listening to it for listening to us for a while is we are okay with this show being what it is and being true to ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're not, um, I think I've maybe said this before, but like, we're not trying to be NPR and Joe Rogan and all of those big, awesome mega shows. I mean, if we become big and mega, that's fantastic. (laughs) But the goal here is to create conversations that are really valuable to the people that are listening to them. Mm -hmm. And it's, we're okay with there not being an intro bumper and an outro thing and like a mid roll presentation and (laughs) no sponsorship and all that stuff. Like we're able to have full control over this show, Mm -hmm. who comes on it, what we talk about. That has been wonderful. And if you feel like you're trying to produce something that doesn't feel true to you, I I think you just, you'll burn out really quickly because it it is a grind. It, It is some work. But it's it's work that you you feel really good about once it's done. Yeah. Agreed. So yeah, that that would be my other my other point to add based on the six months we've had. Yeah. Cool. What's best? What's the best thing about having a co-host for a podcast? It's so fun. It's yeah. it's a way to bounce energy off of each other. It's a way to make sure that when you are interviewing people, you have two different perspectives and two different ways of approaching it, which I think just adds so much depth to a conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's also great because you have that person to support. It's not like you're doing this alone and it's more fun. You can celebrate things. You can also, when things are challenging, you talk, you can talk about it. So there's a lot of benefits from my perspective. Yeah. How about for you? Very similar. I mean, I, I spent a lot of 2019, the first half of 2019 blogging weekly, and I still write. I write, I write every Sunday for my Sunday newsletter, um, slightly different scale, different goal, but creating content and, and doing this alone versus having someone with you. I mean, the, the number one thing that helped in the early days is having a built-in accountability partner. Mm-hmm. For me, it was like, well, We've said that the show is going to come out on Wednesdays at 6 a.m. Eastern and the show must be there. Like, you know, (laughs) the file's got to be uploaded in the hosting platform and away we go. Mm -hmm. And now that's 
you know, we've done this 30 times. We're kind of well grooved, I think now with kind of the, the flow of, of how we work. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit less important, the accountability piece. But when you're just starting out, I think it was, it was really big. Yeah. And then, yeah, what, what you said is having someone to, to run ideas off of, to, to just sort of have just a deeper creative process, really. And um, we, I think, complement each other pretty well in terms of personality. I think mm-hmm. you kind of you end up pegging yourself and, and pigeonholing yourself as, as like the introvert side. And I may be a little mm-hmm. bit more the extroverted guy. Um, but people would be surprised to know how much I love staying at home. Uh, <laughs> and I think that adds an important dynamic to what we do so that when we are interviewing people, we are coming at them from different uh, points of view. We have different backgrounds, obviously yours mm-hmm. more of a corporate finance, mine more of an education background. Um, so just there's so much freshness that comes in to what we're talking about because of, of our, of our different personalities and backgrounds. So many, many things, but I, I couldn't imagine podcasting being as fun as it's been had I gotten this far like just doing a solo show does that make sense yeah same absolutely so I mean that yeah lots of great things about having a co-host and and highly recommend that that structure for anyone who's starting definitely all right and Diana's last question is what's your story on how you got into coaching coaching has been part of my life in a way since I was about 13 14 years old And it started when I wanted to join a football team. And because of a medical condition I was born with, I I couldn't join it as a player. And so I started to um, develop a curiosity for coaching. And that continued on uh, through university. I worked with my university football team for six years. I left university as a football coach that they worked at sort of what um, maybe a lot of American listeners might think of as like the junior college level in Canada and in Quebec specifically, it's called Sejep kind of replaces a little bit of high school and and community college and working with people who are in um, such important transitional periods in their lives and being part of a lot of journeys where um, I know I've had an impact and I've helped high, I've coached high school athletes as well, but it's been in me for, for a really, really long time. And the career coaching thing is a relatively recent endeavor if we're looking at that timeline. And I I think it comes down to looking back into my own experiences, remembering that I was kind of a total mess when I was graduating university. Um, I I sometimes talk about like I made $19,000 a year for the first three years after I graduated. And um, like that doesn't have to be everyone's reality. Mm-hmm. there are so many things that I could have done better. And now, you know, 10 plus years out, it's, it's, it's easy to look back and sort of say, ah, like, I, I know I can help people with this. Um, and so it's been, it's been fun to continue coaching in a different way. It was amazing to go through IPEC and learn a whole new set of coaching skills. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's kind of how it's been a meandering journey. It, it was, it's never a point A to point B thing but just having a love of helping people. And for me, it's been helping, you know, younger folks uh, is, is what has brought me into this. And, and it, I, I can't see myself having more fun doing something else. Yeah. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. That's where I'm at. Awesome. 
How about you? For me, it was also meandering. And I just want to touch back quickly. You know, we were talking before about how to innovate and you saw an issue that you have dealt with in your own life and yeah. you use that to innovate and to be able to serve people. So just wanted to tie that back really quick. Yeah. Good point. So for me, I, I've always been an observer, a good listener, um, somebody who people often come to with all sorts of questions, concerns, problems in their lives. And, um, when I was in high school, I wanted to be a psychologist, but it wasn't the right path for me at that time. Mm-hmm. So I went down the corporate path. I went into HR, I went into accounting and I always felt like something was missing though. And, and having hired a career coach myself, um, I figured out what that was. And the missing piece for me was really connecting with people. Um, I've even in careers that I, or jobs that I had had while I was in university, I noticed that the common thread through all of it was that I loved working with people and being in the corporate world, you do work with people, but it wasn't the type of work with people that I really wanted. Mm. And so once I figured that out and discovered the coaching path, it was just, it felt like magic. And I signed up for IPEC, went through that, started the business and definitely haven't looked back since. It's so incredible when you actually find something that you really do feel passionate about doing. And I, mm-hmm. I feel for a lot of people and I'm, I'm sure maybe this is you, dear listener, that um, maybe you've never really experienced that much happiness in the work that you do. And I just, I think it's important for you to know that it is possible, that mm-hmm. it looks different, that you can love the work that you do and have a lifestyle that, that meets your expectations, your dreams, whatever, mm-hmm. that it can be different. And I just hope people are, are always keeping that in mind if they're not in that position already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also that it can also be okay if, if you're not looking for that passion project. Very true. Yeah. They, it was Garrett who had talked about, you know, the different work orientations mm-hmm. and, so if you're if you're job oriented or career oriented, that's okay too. But there is ways to find fulfillment within that. It doesn't have to be that you have to find your passion necessarily. But yeah. if you do decide that you want to find your passion, that like you said, you should know that you can. There are yes. ways of doing it. Great points. Yeah. See what we learn from all of our amazing guests. They teach us <laughs> just as much as we hopefully teach just on our own with our own clients and everything. It's been an amazing experience so far, uh, just learning and being with these amazing people. Um, and so hopefully dear listener, you've pulled something out of this that is helpful for you. If you ever have any more questions for us, feel free. You can always email us. Um, we can definitely always, we could do a, a listener spotlight on a question. We can always just bring up a question in a show, yeah. uh, before getting into the main topic and just Honestly, thank you so much for having been with us this far in. It's been wonderful. Lisa, is there anything you, you want to add to this before we cap it off? Yeah, thank you for continuing to listen in. Thank you for, thank you to all of our guests. Um, thank you, Mike. I just want to say thank you mm. so much for all of the hard work that you put into this because it's so much fun and I feel so lucky to be able to continue. I definitely feel like I've got a great partner in this and I'm, I'm excited to just continue to run with this because it's, it's going down that runway with more and more speed. There's no question about it. So yeah, it's been great so far. Sweet. Amazing. 
But we'll put a wrap on that. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. For the Career Builders Podcast, I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Pekosek. And you take care of yourself. Bye for now.